Great to see everybody again. Thanks for uh, being here. The uh, wonderful time to just celebrate in the great hymns of the faith as we, we join with people who've been singing that for centuries um, unto God. We, we join together as part of that, that community, uh, not only around the world, but throughout to the ages. Um, and then uh, we start a new series today that really begins a, a, a journey uh, for the next really three years of walking through the gospel stories. We look at the whole of the scriptures and um, gather around our common story, um, both past, present, and future, that, that unites us together as one. I have a little video that just uh, helps set the, the, the tone and gives you a little intro for the, the gospel project that will be beginning here in September. looking for guidance, for stories to encourage us, and heroes to elevate as examples. In Abraham, we find inspiration to trust God with everything, just as he did by not holding back his only son. Elijah challenges us to be courageous, just as he was when he called down fire from heaven. And David encourages us to overcome any obstacle, just as he did when he slew the giant with a stone. These heroes of the faith do inspire us. But if that's all they do, we place a burden on them too great to bear. The same burden we place on ourselves when we try to live by their example. After all, Abraham was a liar. Elijah ran away to die in the wilderness when threatened. And David murdered one of his closest allies to cover up an affair. What if the Bible's heroes aren't simply models, but pictures of brokenness? People like us who need a hero too. The hero all the Bible's heroes point to. Jesus. This is the story all scripture tells from beginning to end. The story that isn't simply about how to live, but how to live through the one who lived for us. The story that invites us to continue sharing, inviting others to follow him until the day he returns. The good news, the story of redemption, the story of the gospel. So our journey as we engage in the, the gospel project, we read through the whole of our story together. Um, it, it's our common story that makes us a, a common people, that gives us a common culture in a way, a common way to live. I realize just how important our common story is uh, in the last several years as my father contracted uh, dementia. And he lost our stories. Yeah, they, they, they were gone. I mean, I still had them, but when we would get together, we couldn't share those stories um, anymore. And I realized how important that was. And really, it meant a series. Of, really, I spent five years as that disease took over grieving those lost stories and recounting how those stories that we had really formed me and formed us. For us, we're going to together recount our story. 
recount our story from the beginning, from creation, what has happened, our common story in our past, all the way to our common end in our story together where God is calling us together as His people to live according to the ways of heaven now and forever. A passage that we'll look at today is in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, starting with verse 1. It's on 984 of your pew Bible. And it it's, uh, will, will show us how we, we have a, a, this, this common story that b- because we have a, a common commitment, because we have a common Lord, because we have a common Savior, because we have a common condition of being sinners deserving of judgment but receiving grace over and over and over again. That our, our common story makes us a, a common people, God's people, with a common culture in a way, a common way that we agree to live together for God's glory and for the proclamation of His good news. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your written word and thanks for your Holy Spirit who resides within us. Now lead us and guide us as we look at this together that you indeed would continue to share with us our common story. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 2 starting with verse 1. Rid yourselves therefore of all malice and all guile insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, so this this first part, really talking about each of our longing to follow after Jesus. It's not just a mental ascent, but it is a longing to to know, like a like a baby crying for milk. We long for Jesus, and that's part of our our common longing. Peter's talking here individually to the individual Christians. This is what draws us together. If if we're living into our story, then there is a deep-seated longing of our soul to continue to know and follow and adore Jesus because we've tasted Him and we know just how good He is. All right, verse 4. Come to Him, a living stone, Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, verse 4, he moves from the individual you, the singular you, to the plural you. Now, he moves to the y'all here. So now, you are living stones, but Jesus, or Jesus is the living stone, and he is the cornerstone, he is the foundation stone, and now he's gonna bring us together as living stones to make a house out of us. 
a house where he resides. I mean, there's all kinds of imagery relating back to our story that we call the Old Testament here. Of a, being a temple, the place where God resides. And we'll see it throughout. I mean, th- this passage is chock full with Old Testament references. References to our story that are true for us. And so now he's going to build us into being a, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice. A lot there we won't go into to, today because I want to really focus there at the end. But recognize also here that Jesus is the one that some will receive and others will reject. And that's the dividing line between those that are he's including as living stones and those that aren't. It's for it stands in scripture, verse six now. See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe he is precious. But for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Right, so, I mean, you, you capture here the place of Jesus as the, as the, either the stone that's the foundation or he's the stone that's the stumbling block for those. Some will believe and some will not. Now, to the y'all, verse nine, he then turns uh, to us, turns to the, the, People in his day who are believers after Jesus. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people." Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. And again, relating back to our common story and those that have gone before us, like the video spoke of, who were not, they, they were believing in God's grace, trusting in God's grace, not even knowing they were trusting in the work of Jesus to come. They're part of who we are, part of our common people, part of our common culture. And here he lines out for us who we are because of our common story. This is who you are. This is who we are. This is who Jesus has made us to be. This is what God has been planning since before the very beginning of time. You are a chosen race. Now, so here, uh, race uh, is uh, the word we get genus from. You know, like a species, you know, sort of a biological um, uh, understanding of, of who fits in certain categories. Well, that's what it is here, that we are part of like the human race. You know, that separates us from other animals. You know, that our 
official genus is Homo. You know, Homo sapiens. Sapiens is then the species. But that distinguishes this line of biology from other living beings. Well, now what God is saying, your, your race is my chosen people. That's what makes you who you are. Now, for each of these, what I want us to do, let's just take a, a gander back and think, what would Peter's audience have thought of this? If we relate this to our common story, what does it mean to be a chosen race? Well, the key issue in Peter's day was Jew and Gentile. You know, the, the, the Jews were, the, the, were God's chosen race and the Gentile, they were not. Well, now, in, in Jesus, in what Peter is teaching, what Paul teaches, what our story tells us is that now those divisions are torn down. They are no longer applicable. There is no biological, physiological, genetic connection. There is a connection found only and purely in Jesus That is made real in you and me and those that have gone before us and those that will come after us who are part of God's chosen people. That is real because God has chosen us and placed us right here. This is our story. This is who we are, what God has chosen us to become. Our unity is because of our story and the very act of God choosing us to be His. It has nothing to do with our DNA. It has everything to do with our Lord and Savior. And that demonstrates why as well that the church in throughout history and around the world Face the challenge of living into this reality. In our own context, when we say that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning or 9.28 on Sunday morning, still the most segregated hour, that we recognize how we're not living into our story. And the more we look at our story, we see just how powerful and beautiful God's Work is on the cross that has divided all the different ways that we humans can separate ourselves from one another. Jesus has brought together. That is our story from the beginning all the way to the end. That's how powerful God is. He goes on. Not only are we a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood. So let's let's think about this a little bit. Think about royal and priesthood. For most of us, yeah. So the the whole idea of royalty as Americans, well, that's what we rebelled against, right? We we sort of many of us sort of just snort and look the other way around royalty shenanigans. Now others find it quite beautiful and marvelous, and that's that's great. But what what would a first century person think about being said? You can be king. You are royalty. It's like that for a first century person, that, that's like, an, there's no way to even imagine that. It's impossible. Because the kings are born kings. You know, the, the kings are the ones with power and prestige that live over there. I can't get there from here. There's no way that I am royal. 
that I have that kind of power, that kind of prestige. No, another analogy, it's like, you know, if you had a white guy that's five, six and a three inch vertical um, uh, leap. You know, he's just never going to be the king, LeBron, James. It's just not going to happen. There's no way even to imagine that happening. Even broader would be what Peter is telling his people. No, you are royalty. That's your story. Don't you remember it? Your royal priesthood. What is, a priest, again, that's sort of the same thing. Well, you know, you got to be of the family of Levi. you got to be the family of Aaron. And what does the priest have? Well, priest has access to the holy of holies. And the priest is the one who has access to God and then communicates that to the people, is connecting, making the sacrifices that, that are necessary for the people to engage with God and God with the people. The, the priests are, are the ones that have that kind of spiritual power. We are kingly priests. That's, that's our story from the beginning. That's our story all the way to the end. And we are a holy nation. Now the word there, holy nation, is a, the, a holy, a set-apart ethnos, is the Greek word. So it's where we get ethnic. You know, our different ethnic identities. God now said, you're a set-apart ethnos. You're a set-apart ethnicity group right here. Followers of Jesus. This is, this is now your identity. Being American is not what unites us. That, that's not our common story that unites us. Being a follower of Jesus is our common story. That's what makes us a holy, set-apart nation or ethnic group. We're not American, or, or nor are we Nigerian first and foremost, or, or German or French Cameroonian, Kikuyu, it's a tribe. Or Kurdish. Those are not the ethnicities, the tribes, the nations that unite us. That's not our story. And and, and for me, it's wonderful to be in in a church like ours that's seeking to live into that. And and they're saying, no, this is who we are. So we need people from all nations, tribes, and races, and economic backgrounds. Who are united because we're following Jesus together. Who are agreeing this is our common story. Because you know what that. that, Growing up. My common story was that America is the new Israel. You know that America is the light on a hill. that, That what brings hope to the world is democracy and capitalism. And I got nothing against democracy and capitalism. Matter of fact I like them. I think they're 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 the best system you got. But they're not bringing hope to the world. And that's not my common story with the group that I'm a part of. And what's helped me with that is, is some friends who are Native American Christians. Who, who I, I have a common story with them from the beginning of time to the end of time. 
And, and Nat has taught me they don't see America as Israel on the hill. They see America. They, yes, they're thankful for America and that, and that it led them to Jesus. But for them, America isn't like Israel. It's like Babylon who invaded their nation, took them captive and destroyed them. But because of that, they found Jesus and God has brought them free and justice through the imprisonment, through the destruction and injustice they faced. Oh, man, that was a, that was a great realization for me to, to put those other things that they were clouding this truth. That this is our common story. This is what makes us a people. And the last phrase there, God's own people. As we dive into our common story, then we'll realize, no, we, we are God's people. Now, this is an interesting word as well here, because um, God is actually nowhere in the original language. Um, the word is a, a word that's used just four or five times, and, and it really is a word that you could use for possession. So you could say, if you just translate it literally, you're a possessed people. Um, but it doesn't mean like demonic possession. Y'all get that? Y'all didn't get that one. Um, it, it means you're possessed and that you're owned. We are the possession of God. We are that most cherished possession that he will hold on to the end. Oftentimes used in a context of vindication. Some translations even say that. You are God's vindicated people. And again, think about that in the sense of the first century. You know, they are, um, they're, uh, face real persecution, you know, and death for following Jesus. You know, the, the fact that they, they say, no, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, gets them beheaded, you know, gets them thrown in prison, lose their jobs, you know, they, uh, they lose their families. I mean, everything can be lost then. This, this distinction that Peter's making here. That these are the people that follow Jesus and it, it costs them a lot. So they need to hear, you are possessed by God. And even if you lose your head, God will not lose you. That, that's our story as a people. That's who we are. And as we venture into the story of the gospel from the beginning to the end, we will see it's not only where we've come from, but it is where we go, we are going. That we are united as a people. That God has chosen us to be His people. And then finally, but why? For what purpose? He, he tells us there... In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That, that's what unites us, brothers and sisters. We were in darkness. We were lost. We were broken, destined for our own devices, destined for judgment and hell. And yet God chose us, brought us out, gave us his name, have made us his. And that's why we gather every Sunday to praise the Lord and celebrate that good news. 
You remember a couple, uh, what was last uh, month back in July? Remember the, the Thai soccer team that was trapped in darkness, literally? You know, for nine days, they were in this cave where that had flooded. They couldn't get out, not knowing what was going to happen. Now, I've, I've been around boys' athletic teams, and I know the, the rivalries that exist, the jealousies that exist, you know, the second-team goalie sort of wishing the first-team goalie's injury would last a little longer, you know, and the, the, the forward, the right forward is mad, the left forward didn't pass it to him, instead took too many shots. You know, those kind of petty jealousies, those kind of things, and that were that you could not like one another. But, you know, can you imagine any of that meaning anything when for nine days you're in total darkness with nothing? You think that would pull you all together? For how do we get out of here? That's the kind of unity we have every moment of every day. That we were once in darkness, lost, and God has chosen us and brought us together, building us together as a new temple, as a new place for Him to reside, so that we might proclaim His wondrous deeds that have taken us out of darkness that we deserved into a marvelous light that Jesus deserved. And we look forward to that day when we will see him face to face. But until then, we live as his people today. Now, I'm going on a sabbatical in a couple of weeks, but I'm going to join with you, not literally, but reading through the story with you over the next three months. And I really want to ask you a question. Why would you not do this? Why would you not start September 9th reading in Genesis 1? I mean, why would you not want to jump in and hear our common story and hear what God has done, what God has been planning for us right now? Why would you not participate in this? Even if you can't be there, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be reading and praying and doing the stuff with you. Why not be reminded of the story? Don't you think in a couple years those Thai soccer players are going to be need, need to be reminded? Don't you remember all that you did in that cave with those guys? Doesn't that still hold you together today? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But for us... Our story is our only story that lasts. All other stories will die. They'll be gone and forgotten. It's this story that lasts for eternity. So why not? Why not start September reading the story together? So that we might live into who we are. Being God's chosen people saved out of darkness into light so that we might proclaim that to the world. Amen.